Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back from my vacation in Italy. Thanks to Drew Dinkmeyer, Jack Miller, Mark Dankenbring for holding down the fort, recording a few Establish the Edge episodes while I was away. Make sure you check that out. But I'm back. I'm joining every single underdog solo draft I can in my uh, <laughs> effort to get to maxing out Best Ball Mania 4. And what better guests to have on than someone working for underdog themselves. So Hayden Winks joins me today. Thanks so much for joining me, Hayden. Thanks for having me. I just also got back from Italy. How was, how was your trip? Amazing. It's hard to beat. Yeah. Did you wait? You were in Italy too? Yeah, I was in Venice. No I did a cruise. This was like earlier or like late last month. But yeah, it was awesome. Oh man, dude, it was great. I mean, the food, the history, everything, the landscape, all of it. Where were it you at? Great. Rome or somewhere else? Did a few days in Rome, Best. a few days in Montalcino, and a few days in like Siena, Florence, kind of split time between mm-hmm. those two places. So beautiful stuff. Um well yeah, we'll we'll chat more Italy, Italy off stream, but we're just here to make you jealous, everyone who hasn't been in Italy all summer. But um yeah, I want to talk Best Ball Mania 4 strategy, but before we get into that, just hear a little bit more about your background, like what it's like working for Underdog. I know I was following your stuff at Roto World before you went over to Underdog. And yeah, I mean, it must be like some pros and some some cons. Like it's got to be like fun, like working for Jeremy. I know mm-hmm. I've been friends with him for for a while um, since the star street days. Um, but at the same time, you can't play best ball mania four. So that's gotta be a little bit of a bummer. So uh, how, how is the underdog a gig? What's your favorite part of the job? Well, we do have employees only contests that we're running. So I'm yeah. still drafting a bunch. I've already got like a hundred drafts under my belt this mm-hmm. off season. So, so that's the, the good news that we have. We've grown enough where there's enough employees that we can actually draft against, which is a new thing for it. Um, but yeah, underdog's great. Like everyone, it's a startup culture. Everyone's out here working. Everyone's having a lot of fun. Josh and I were like one of the newest employees. Like we were like one of the first 20 employees. So watching this like basically tenfold has been amazing. But everybody that worked with Jeremy Redman, everyone makes it a lot of fun. What's what's the line on your ROI versus Norris's ROI in these employee <laughs> drafts? I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean working for underdog you're consuming obviously all of the data that's coming in you're solely focused on this best ball platform and i think it's been really cool the way that underdog shared a lot of the data from the drafts Mm -hmm. um and we've seen some stuff with i'm gonna have on uh dan faulkner who won like the best ball data bowl that peter overset and and company did out and i think it's um, I'm forgetting a name in there, but I'm having him on the podcast later this week to talk about his submission. And, you know, none of this happens while underdog making the data available. So kudos to you guys. And I know you've done a lot of analysis, both macro and micro on like the strategies people are implementing, how they've changed over time, what's working, what's not working. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to, to give a shout out, say thank you, and just uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit over all the, the good data that you're you're able to parse through. Yeah, so that wasn't my idea. That was something that Redmond wanted to do. And the content that comes from it has been obviously amazing. And I try not to miss a single part of anyone that's publishing anything with it. 
Um, obviously you have done probably the best work of everyone with the manifesto. Um, but really it's just like, and also an integrity thing. Like we want you to feel comfortable that our drafts, you can see what's going on. Like there's no funny business going on. And also it's going to help grow the game. And, uh, it's just a, a fun way for, for people to get into the data. There's, I think a, one of the coolest things about it is that including myself, there's been so many people that have gotten significantly better at either Excel or Python, another thing. Like there's a lot of people that could be probably doing full-time work now in like a data analyst job because they started learning from NFL fast R or from best ball mania. So that's really cool to see. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That is, I know like my skills have grown tremendously just working with that data. Also shout out chat GPT for helping me along the way. Uh, great resource there. The other thing that's been cool with underdog is just like more formats this year available to us. So I know early on I was in the Dalmatians, like that $100 price point single entry. And then I think there was a three entry max, um, had the $50 chow chow early on and have had some varying formats, which to me is a lot of fun. Like I like being able to, to play in the lottery that is best ball mania four, but also get my toes wide in some smaller field stuff at different stakes levels. So I think that's been really cool. I think your favorite formats, weekly winners. I know I saw you were teasing that. Um, is that true? Is that your favorite of the uh, alternative formats? I think it's the most necessary because we've had best ball for the last couple of years and something at underdog, we want to innovate across all of our platforms, but also, we don't want things to go stale. And I wanted the underdog sweat experience to be a little bit better just because now we have a way to sweat all 17 weeks. A lot of people were kind of just waiting for the week 14, but I thought that was pretty unfair because the off season is underdogs. So why not make the in season also underdogs in a way. And, but to me it really is like the strategy component. There's so many layers to weekly winners, how much to stack, when to stack by weeks, what matters rookies, uh, suspended players there's so much going on there i thought it was like a good conversation starter for people doing content and also the other thing with weekly winners is there's now 17 weeks to realize your edge that was like another thing that some of the the hardcore players were talking about with best balls like more or less one slate now we have 17 slates to kind of maximize your edge mm -hmm. so hopefully you guys uh that are actually deep in the weeds looking at this stuff could hopefully realize that edge a little bit faster too yeah, I like the idea of the format a lot. I haven't played a ton of it myself. Like in some, because you mentioned like all the layers of strategy where my brain is like so wired for Best Ball Mania 4 that I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I need an off season to digest the weekly winners and like make sure I'm actually doing this appropriately because if you're not putting like any data to it as well, you can kind of subjectively, like qualitatively, like talk yourself into different strategies in terms mm -hmm. of like how much stacking is too much or like, what bye weeks should I pair together or not pair together? So uh, I'm excited to dig into that more over the off season. Also hopeful that we see like smaller field contests of that format too. In, mm -hmm. in addition to the big weekly winners that you've got going on. Is there anything else, you know, you see on the horizon for next year that you guys would like to do contest wise? I mean, I don't know how much you can share. Yeah. I know there's a lot of time between now and next off season. I don't have anything concrete. I just think that, there's so many people with different opinions on like how much first place should have, like it should be top heavy, the advancement structures and stuff. So I think as we grow and we can start filling these contests faster and faster, like having an option for a lot of people uh, all at once would be really nice. And like making sure that there's a lower stakes and a higher stakes, hopefully weekly winners uh, fills and remains popular so that we can offer different price points for that l l smaller field, uh, maybe some higher stake stuff. But to me, I think, 
I think we probably can do better with the higher stakes stuff. I think that there's a, a an appetite from that, and we we've been kind of the five dollar to twenty five dollar range. We've experienced experimented more with some higher stakes stuff, but I would like to see us uh, take a bigger slice of that pie. Yeah, I like the the mid high stakes stuff. I mentioned like the Chow Chow and the Dalmatian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of wish those were going on like all off season. Yep, um, and that would be really cool to see. I think from like from the jump, like all the way through to the start of the season, be able to enter a contest like that. Um, Let's, let's get into best ball mini four strategy though. You know, I think now is a really good time to draft. I'm not saying that selfishly because I haven't been able to draft the past two (laughs) weeks. And uh, cause I actually think the past two weeks were a good time to draft as well, but I did do the best ball manifesto and it it seems like early August. I know we're kind of like middle of August now is a good time to draft because we have more information in terms of like limiting the amount of dead players we're going to get on our roster, but there's still going to be enough movement between now and the start of the season that you can pick up on some good values. I think that's especially the case because you and I were chatting before we went live and started recorded here that the training camp hype and, and clips like each year now just gets crazier and crazier, just more attention to it. That's creating a lot more volatility. I think like in terms of the, these ADP swings along with, some of the running back holdout threat risk and, Mm -hmm. and stuff. So I still think there's like some uncertainty in the market, even though we're a little bit later in the draft season. And I think that the running back part of that's going to only get worse over the next couple of years, just because the contracts aren't going to make adjust, but all the running backs are going to want to get paid. So there's going to be a lot of volatility um, with all the stuff. And yeah, the training camp reports, like I love how much, we're into the weeds with all the stuff, but I think that a lot of people are making some crucial mistakes on what matters and what doesn't matter. Um, so that's why like Levitan, it does a really good job with, with the recaps, Josh and I on our channel, try to recap and like put a lot of like the snap counts. What does it matter? The context that goes into a lot of these things, because I think there's a lot of overreacting um, to this right now. Um, and with like the Dalvin cooks signing, there's, a lot of this is kind of vibes based too. Like, how are you supposed to do like Brees Hall's return plus how much Rogers loves Dalvin Cook? How, do we even know that Rogers, uh, that Brees Hall even exists in Rogers' mind? He was he watching <laughs> Iowa State tape. I'm not. I'm not convinced. He knows Dalvin Cook. I'll tell you that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stances to take, and then beyond the the player stances, like really, like if you aren't doing X, Y, and Z with stacking roster construction, all that stuff, it really is not going to matter. Yeah. And you mentioned like, you know, not only interpreting the preseason news correctly, but like, just like, like we're human beings and it's hard to not just, I'm just fearful all the time. Uh, the last two years in particular with doing like best ball rankings all off season. And thankfully I have like a great team at ETR, a ton of help, especially from Jack and Mark, who I mentioned at the top of the show, yep. but still it's like every highlight clip I see of like a player we're low on. I'm like, are we okay? And like, it's, it's just insane. So you gotta kind of stick your priors a little bit and then try and just be, be smart. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of, a lot of highlights out there. You can't, can't have uh, uh, too much fear, but along the lines of not making mistakes in terms of, you know, chasing preseason stuff, training camp hype, that doesn't matter. What do you think the biggest mistake drafters are making that you sort of see, you know, like behind the scenes? So this is like hard because wide receivers matter a ton and we're really good at predicting wide receivers. Like very rarely uh, are there going to be like multiple Zay Jones in a season. Like even Zay Jones popping off was like a wide receiver three, like had some spike weeks. Like we love that. But most of the spike weeks that wide receiver happen from the top 
30 players that were drafting at the position. So like you can't punt it off, but right now I think like using your, uh, the curve, like the draft capital draft allocation curve, I think we're probably spending too many picks or just too much capital on that position right now. So like what I was doing is I've always wanted like four good wide receivers, but like a couple of years ago, that meant like, okay, at the seventh round wide receiver, eighth round wide receiver, those are still decent players. Right now I see like a lot of people doing like five or six wide receivers up top. And to me, I want to get in and get out. And I want to actually bet on the four or five wide receivers that I drafted up top to actually be the wide receivers that we need. I just think that the market has gone so crazy with the wide receivers that I don't want to tie up too much allocation to that because I don't want to tie too much allocation to one position, period. I don't care if it was running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks. And I've seen right now that we've never seen any data that skews this wide receiver heavy. Yeah, and I'm going to talk again. I, I kind of teased the podcast with the winner of the the best ball mania uh Data Bowl, I'm going to talk with him and Peter Overset, and his submission was on combating the wide receiver yep. heavy rooms, which we're seeing. And it can be difficult because, like you said, it's important to get those top guys. But then as the market goes perhaps a little bit overboard, what do you do? Do you chase it? Do you not? And I sort of think a lot of times like a hybrid approach works, which is kind of what you're saying, get in, get out, really bet on those guys, but don't go overboard, especially if everyone's sort of doing the same thing. Like you don't want to have this same, you know, this is kind of why zero RB first started. Like the flip of this was like, you don't want to have a worse version of the mm -hmm. same structure. Everyone mm -hmm. is building. And you see like, I mean, our ranks don't have it as like that bad of a pick. Cause we're kind of adapting to the market, but like Amari Cooper going like 32nd overall, like, I mean, there's some serious steam on some of these players. Calvin Ridley now is at like the two, three turn. Like yep. you, you got to make some tough decisions for sure. And I know earlier in the off season, I was making the mistake of, I started drafting more wide receivers earlier, but then I was drafting too many total. That's um, my big thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's an adjustment I had to make. Cause I was, I was so wired to drafting like eight or nine wide receivers and getting like those kind of taking advantage of some, some, some volatility there. But if you're, you're taking enough early. The whole point is um, to bet on those guys is the, you know, the opposite yep. of the hyper fragile running back strategy. So um, yeah. What did you think? I guess this kind of sort of ties into, I had a question to ask you if people are overreacting to last year and last year, certainly I think we've seen the market in general trend wide receiver heavier, but it's like gone crazy this year. And I think that's because last year zero RB did so, so well and wide receiver heavy teams, in terms of draft capital or early pick spent did so, so well. Do you think people are overreacting to that? Or is there anything else in terms of the data that people are maybe chasing too much? I think that there is reasons why wide receivers project well this year, just like the running backs are a little bit older. There's a lot of risk right now with these running backs, like, like three years ago, like all the first round running backs, a lot of them were like right in the middle of the primes of their careers. They weren't changing teams. There wasn't a holdout risk. There wasn't any of that type of thing. This year, there, there is, and that kind of second tier of the wide receivers are young breakout type of players where they can like just build on that next level. So I understand why people are doing it. I am a little bit fearful, though, that this kind of wide receiver one-two borderline, we're trying to group them in like they are the Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams tier, Cooper Cup tier. They really aren't even that close. Like, I love Chris Olave as a player. I love some of these other, like T Higgins, for example, but they, if you look at it, they get smashed by the elite wide receivers, but we're trying to like group them all as all in as if they're like 
all wide receiver ones. Yeah. So my stance, like in particular, is like the round two, three turn, like the Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard types. I like their projections and upside a lot more than I like to me, like kind of these like fake wide receiver ones. Like maybe T. Higgins will be the, the wide receiver 12, but his wide receiver 12 compared to like what the top four or five wide receivers have been doing the last couple of years to me is pretty staggering. So I, I think I'm that's the part of the wide receiver bucket that I'm not really chasing is like back half of round two and then the round three wide receivers to me is a little bit suspect. Yeah, I definitely get stuck there. That two, three turn when you're picking early can be difficult. Like obviously you're pumped if you start with Jefferson or Chase, but yeah, between T Higgins, Olave, Devonta Smith, and then you mentioned putting them up against the running backs like Derrick Henry, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, you know, with, know. has fallen to that part with the risk. I know we've moved up Pollard a little bit lately with like the Zeke resigning risk gone. And uh, I've started taking him ahead of Waddle, who I'm really high on. We're going to talk about Waddle a little mm-hmm. bit later. And uh, I know Levitan is like really on Tony Pollard. So um, definitely makes sense. Like when you can get some of these running backs, that could be top five RBs to go there rather than continue to chase wide receiver at that point. Looking at um, macro strategies that are like underutilized, I know you've written a lot of articles. I think you did one on like at the tight end position in particular. I know you've talked about elite QBs and what they Mm -hmm. offer to your team. Um, Anything in particular you think the field is not doing enough, like as a macro roster construction type strategy? I still think that like the middle tier of the tight ends doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me like you're in joku's and your Fryermuth tier um evan ingram i think that the late round tight ends still project so well and the big difference to me is it's the your last three four rounds of picks right now i think that the tight ends are by far the favorites to actually be contributing to your lineups and i think that people underestimate how often these randos actually get you 15, 20 points. Like we saw with like Tyler Conklin could do it. Evan Ingram wasn't this guy until he was like, we see breakouts, Darren Waller, like a couple years ago or more than a couple years ago. Now he was a tight end three that went absolutely nuts. Dalton Schultz was the same way. I think that we underestimate how often these, these really shitty tight ends actually get there. And this year there's a huge influx of really talented players. Like, I, I think like kind of grouping in all these rookie tight ends and like, yeah, they're not going to be top five tight ends, but in best ball, if you can get like Luke Musgrave and Laporta and some throwback guys like Hunter Henry, like if those are your last four picks in, in your drafts somewhere in that range, like I think that's a huge advantage. Yeah. I don't really go into the, the middle tight end tier just because I would rather roll the dice on like Dalvin cook being the jets RB one this year. If something happens to Brees Hall, like I think there's like legitimate upside in that tier. And like in theory, Joshua Kelly can get there, but like even if Eckler misses out and stuff, like now we have Isaiah Spiller breaking long runs in the preseason. I'd rather just like be like, I hope Luke Musgrave sees six, seven targets per game and scores five touchdowns, and I'd rather just use those. So my whole thing has been gearing up for the late round tight end. Yeah, I, I do wish I did a little bit more of that. I did. You know, um, Dan Zach, poker player who's entered the best ball streets, has done the late round four tight end strategy and. At first, I kind of thought it was silly and then looking more into it for the reasons you're stating, you can kind of draft four starting tight ends and you can mix, you mentioned the Hunter Henry types that like, they're going to be on the field, they're safe, maybe not a ton of upside with some guys with more upside. You're starting to lose some of the ability to get like Laporta 
and Musgrave real late, but like even like Jake Ferguson um, for Dallas is like separating. I was a little slow on that one, but the, the point being though, if you just have been drafting tight ends the last four rounds, you've already run into some really good closing line value mm-hmm. and you're getting legitimate starters there. And it is tough for me. And this is tough to like instill into our rankings. Cause like we like Pat Fryermuth in a vacuum, but like for best ball specifically, the ability to group together those three or four tight ends late, you know, maybe, maybe you ignore that value on Fryermuth in a managed league. You might go that way. So, um, that's a good one. Where are you on elite quarterbacks? I mean, you were pretty high on that for a while. We mentioned that two, three turn being tough for like teams that, you know, start with a wide receiver. And then based on how it goes, it's like, you know, do, do you want to take a risk on JT? Do you want to like quote unquote overspend on some of these wide receiver twos that we're like lumping in, or do you just take an Allen or a Hertz and like maybe figure out your stacking a little bit later on? So I have a fantasy points over replacement and it's based off of weekly scoring and it's like taking like the average quarterback 12 wide receiver like 40 including the flex what the running back 28 including the flex the tight end 13 including the flex and i just looked down like on a by week how many points are they scoring above that threshold and the quarterbacks last year hertz was 11th overall allen was 14th overall mahomes was 16th overall and i i think that Joe Burrow, 35th overall. Justin Fields was also ranking really high versus their ADPs. And this has happened a couple years in a row. So I'm not sure. Am I missing something? Like, is there is this fantasy points over replacement metric flawed in some way uh, that I'm not thinking about? Because the last couple of years, I've noticed that these elite quarterbacks are separating more than they have before. I know last year was a disaster for like the quarterback one, two kind of borderline. And we shouldn't expect that to happen as much. But to me, the big difference is it used to be Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning yeah. owning fantasy. Now our elite quarterbacks are also averaging 500 to 1,000 rushing yards. To me, that's the big difference. Like how, like how the hell is Kirk Cousins going to actually compete with Justin Fields nowadays? So that's the, that's the thing I'm leaning into. So I have been mixing in that quarterback 2-3 range. Like give me the Jalen Hurts before Chris Olave for sure. Yeah, I think I don't know if you're missing anything with the points above replacement player. I guess like on draft day, sometimes the the court like the Kirk Cousins quarterback points, for example, are a little bit more firm than like what a running back's points might be. Sure. We're like we're, we're projecting it, but it could be like stone zero for that running back you're taking in round twelve. But I do know just our projections and our rankings sort of work similarly. You know, it's a projected fantasy points over replacement player. Uh, is, is a simplified way of saying that. And we quite often when we have our ranks run into a problem where our gap between the elite quarter be, court, elite quarterbacks and the mid-tier quarterbacks is wider than the market has it. So we're like, when we're positioning quarterbacks as a whole, it's like, well, we don't know if you should be taking a quarterback this early, mm-hmm. but it, if we put, you know, Allen starting at like, I don't know, pick 26, then we're like behind ADP on like, 20 of the 30 quarterbacks because mm-hmm. we're just so far behind on the mid tier. So our projections sort of align with what you're saying. And it's been difficult for me to kind of tailor that and like overcome biases over like just years of, of not investing too early, mm-hmm. especially as these costs have gone up. My inclination is that the quarterbacks right now top are valued. Like I think they're okay. I think they're good picks right now. I think early in the off season, they're going like mid round two was a little aggressive, but now, None of them 
even even Mahomes's ADP, Mahomes's ADP got inflated because of stacking stuff with Chase and Kelsey. But mm-hmm. um, if you look at Hertz and Allen, like their ADPs are now into round two. Um, Lamar's getting closer to the three six turn after he mm-hmm. got boosted up to I think more like the middle of round three for a while. And, um, we're above ADP on most of the early quarterbacks right now. Yeah, it's I I, I just think that like especially if more teams do what the Eagles did and like a lot of these goal line stuff are now quarterback touchdowns like rushing that means wide receivers lose out tight ends run lose out running backs lose out and all the quarterbacks that would probably be doing that are the elite quarterbacks because they're they're aliens i mean the josh allen patrick mahomes fields uh any of these guys up top are massive dudes like these are going to be the dudes that are going to like even lean into this even more i just i just think that yeah, and- previous data is a little bit outdated because the way quarterbacks are going to start looking for the for the rest of our lives the quarterbacks up top are going to be absolute aliens in both capacities yeah and the element of that like you hit on their ability to separate already but something that i know tj hernandez has looked at like a couple years ago and we've looked at the last couple years is it's it's separating in a predictable fashion now like we know the quarterbacks are going to separate it's not just Mm -hmm. oh aaron Rodgers had like a super efficient season randomly and like yeah he was worth the 15th overall pick but there's no way we could have known that like we know (laughs) jalen hurts and josh allen are going to be there but you know enough with the boring macro strategy takes people just want the player takes hey i got them. so uh i identified and you can you can throw in whoever you want but I, I looked at some of the players that on your ranks most deviated from adp both in terms of players you're mm-hmm. you prefer and players you're kind of fading so let's start with the players that you like because i think we agree on most of these whereas some of the fades you know we're gonna we're gonna have some words so Good. I noticed Juju Smith-Schuster you're ahead of ADP <laughs> on. And I can't talk about Juju Smith-Schuster without getting roasted because that's like, yep. you know, my brand. So tell me about Juju. Well, if you look at the previous massive winners in uh, best ball, uh, we had Josh Jacobs. We had James Conner. We had Leonard Fournette over the season. There's one Tom common Lockett. thing. There, well, Lockett at least is fast. I'm pointing out the players that that are not the breakout guys that are slow, but they are loved by the NFL. Those are the best draft picks right now. Juju Smith-Schuster is exactly that. Like Jacoby Myers, who was allergic to the end zone in one of the worst offenses in the league last year, was like the wide receiver 36 in my metrics. Juju was the same thing before his injury. They paid him in that role. I think that the difference between Patricia and O'Brien is not as big as the, what the Jaguars had recently, but it's not that far behind. Like the last year's Patriots offense yeah. was a complete mess. So I have huge projections versus ADP on Juju, Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, and uh, Mac. It's one of my favorite secondary stacks. I'll grab two of those guys. Uh, maybe not convinced on Mac being a fantasy relevant guy because the separation factor he's not going to turn into uh, Hertz overnight. Um, but I, I think that Juju is a very strong bet, especially Gasicki's hurt. He hasn't been doing anything. Taekwon Thornton is, is out of there. Uh, for the most part, Kendrick Bourne um, has not been in favor with his coaching staff. Like it's going to be Juju, especially if they do all these RPO looks like they've been talking about what Mac did in college. RPOs are a first read thing. You're not throwing slants to Devonte Parker. All those RPO looks are going to be looking right at Juju. So I think that Juju's got, um, he's not going to win you your league. But if, if I was saying like, which players are just going to pay off their ADP by a couple rounds, like I would think that Juju is, has very good odds of doing that. Yeah, and I think in best ball that matters a little bit more, right? Like like in manage, we might want to take that huge upside swing, but especially like with the wide receiver conversation, 
you know, if people are taking too many wide receivers early and we go a little bit hybrid strategy, you may need wide receivers in this range. So like yep. Juju is one of the ones I've been comfortable taking. Um, Zay Jones, I've been taking in this range a decent bit where you start getting, I mean, you're talking about like pick what, like 120, you know, yep. 110 to 120, somewhere in that range. So somewhere in ninth, 10th round. And I think, like you said, a lot of the early wide receiver drafters are, don't like this tier. So there's kind of like, after right. like, pick like, like Zay Flowers and Quinton Johnson are off the board. Then like a lot of the people that were hammering wide receivers are stopped drafting them at this point. And I think there's a too big of a gap between kind of like that tier and, and Juju. He's got a lot of money. So it's, it's not a sexy take, but I do think that a lot of the unsexy players are the ones that are undervalued because we get bullied if we talk about it, Mike. Get bullied. We definitely get bullied. It's insane. um, There's another player on here on this list that we're going to get bullied about. Let's take a break from getting bullied, though. We'll go to Matthew Stafford. This is the one that um, we have him, again, this like the mid-tier versus high-tier QB. We have him a little bit ahead of positional ADP, but just QBs in this range we have as like not that great of values. Um, So so show me on Stafford a little bit. Like I'm just – I'm worried about the systemic risk here in the with the Rams where like – I don't know. I could just see this the situation going south if it starts off, you know, slow or there's some injuries. So the upside would be that whenever McVeigh is in neutral situations, he has been very pass heavy and run very fast offenses. And this defense is going to be tragic. The offensive line they keep telling me is going to be much better than it was last year because they ran like as bad as you can with injuries on the offensive line. I draft a ton of Cooper Cup. I draft him over McCaffrey. I rank him ahead of Jamar Chase. I still draft a lot of Jamar Chase, but Cooper Cup, if I have like third, fourth, or fifth pick right now, like I'm getting a bunch of Cooper Cup. He's probably going to be the first round player I'm going to be most overweight on because of what the target. So I'm looking for stacking as my quarterback too. I like Tyler Higby going into this kind of tight end two discussion where I like a lot of times Tyler Higby's my tight end one. And same thing with Van Jefferson. I think that Van Jefferson's going to separate over the Puka Nakua's and those types. So there's a lot of stacking reasons why, but really it's just, I've seen McVay play fast. I've seen him pass like crazy. This is the worst defense. It's going to be kind of like these throwback days where Stafford and the Lions, where they were getting blown out, but he can just rally it. And he's healthy right now. And it's Cooper Cup. It sounds like he's going to be back at, at any moment. I'm not really concerned about that. And I just think that McVay is going to be essentially playing Madden. Yeah, I think... You know, I did the off-seasons projection special with Gretch, and we talked about the Rams. And my initial instinct on Cup was, like, I'm fading the systemic risk. Like, there's a bunch of players I like in round one. Like, no need to take on the risk. And what Gretch pointed out to me was, with Cup, unlike all these other round one guys, there's this ceiling that, like, you you tend to your mind being like, oh, they all have a high ceiling. But Cup, Mm -hmm. like, legitimately has, like, the highest ceiling um, because of the absurd target share. And I... I may have not, you know, considered their defensive struggles enough sort of like in projecting them. And I love those sort of like quirks where there's something the market might not see just because we're, you know, blindly assuming something mm-hmm. from the past few years continuing. I had uh, Josh was doing like his favorite players in each round and Cup was his first round player that he liked. And I was looking at some data. So through week nine last year, the Rams were a complete disaster. They were 29th in scoring. They were 29th in yards per pass attempt. They were 14th in actual pass attempts. And Cooper Cup was still the wide receiver one. He was averaging seven more points per game than the wide receiver 10. So like his ability, even if the Rams are a stone disaster, Cooper Cup is just going to absolutely go nuclear. So I think he's actually like the, the systemic risk. 
I think would still benefit him because if they're trailing, he's going to get so much garbage time uh, reception. So I'm more of more or less like I want Cooper Cup and I'm along for the ride with Matthew Stafford as my quarterback too. That makes sense. Uh, let's get bullied some more. And uh, David Montgomery is the guy to get bullied on. And there's a couple things going on here with Montgomery. Um, I think at this point where ADP is just positionally macro wise, like at his range, like running backs are a little bit undervalued to me. Mm-hmm. And then just with Montgomery in particular, there's a sense from the community. I feel like to always want to be on the right side of like Gibbs or Montgomery. And for me, like I like both players, like, um, but I'll let you, you sell Montgomery before I get into my, my spiel too much. So I think that with the offensive line, I really like their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. I think that the floor for the Lions is pretty safe. They were first in running back fantasy usage last year. Obviously, that was uh, aided by, you know, Amon Ra getting tackled at the one yard line. Jamal Williams uh, twerking in the end zone for a lot of the season. But David Montgomery made more money than you think. I think that running back coaches like David Montgomery because he's very consistent and they don't really care about the big play as much. Um, they keep saying that's gonna be a one, two punch. They love David Montgomery. And I think he's the heavy favorite for the goal line opportunities, but unlike Jamal Williams, David Montgomery's contingent upside, I think is really, really strong because he has been a bell cow. He has soft hands. He's a veteran. I think that they would love him in the pass game role. If Jameer Gibbs either can't handle things, he gets banged up or all that stuff. But really this is kind of a little soft stance on Jameer Gibbs and half PPR just because like, almost like 80% of his carries were off tackle. He had only uh, 10 carries in his college career with two or fewer yards to go. He only had four carries inside the five yard line. So like Gibbs could be really dope. And then like in comes David Montgomery. But to me, really just the contingent upside, like David Montgomery, if you remove Jameer Gibbs from this equation, we would be hammering the lions running back just as a function of their offense. And I think that while unsexy he does have the skill set to hog up a bunch of the volume yeah and you mentioned like i i've looked at it simply put as like jamal williams with some pass catching upside yep right jamal williams 16 targets in 17 games last year like david montgomery even with a full season of gibbs is going to beat that he's had 40 targets last year when you know with a mobile quarterback they didn't throw to the running back as much golf throws the running back a lot more 51 targets the year prior to that 68 the year prior to that um he's he's gonna catch the football and provide a little bit more element there and of course like he's not gonna run for 17 touchdowns like jamal williams but no one's expecting that. So, so I sometimes hate those arguments where they're like, oh, they're, you know, I'm on Ross, not going to tackle at the one again. No, but yeah. like he's going to have the goal line role for good offense. Like that's what yep. we're talking about, which is like eight to 10 touchdowns would be phenomenal if you're taking the guy in the, in the sixth round and then you've got some additional upside behind that, especially in half PPR. So I'm with you on David Montgomery. I'm also with you on this next player. I'll be on the list, Tyler Algier, who is starting to get some, some camp hype. So I'll see if the price tag rises on that but what are you seeing with algier i i get scared when coaches use the term weapon with these players and i think Bijan will be fine because he's so damn good and this is such an efficient run game but like every time they're like he's a weapon i'm always like well who are they just going to put the ball in the belly of i think that algier is probably going to have a like a little bit more unpredictable flex usage then we're giving credit for. I can see him mixing in at the goal line on occasion. So I think that he has potentially not in redraft standalone value because it'd be so hard to predict. 
But I do think that he's going to mix in because this run game is so damn good. I love Arthur Smith uh, and his, his play design, not necessarily fading uh, Kyle Pitts usage and all that stuff, but the contingent upside there too, like Cordell Patterson's already missing some time. Um, with a soft tissue injury, he's a little bit older. We saw Algier down the stretch provide RB2 value, and that was with a Falcons offense that was quite terrible. I think they still probably will be because their quarterback situation, but there's at least some upside moving on with Mariota. But I think that Algier can play, and I think that he's so consistent. I think that Arthur Smith could get him involved a little bit more than we want. To. Yeah, it's. It's like a poor version of the David Montgomery argument to an extent where there's more standalone value here than you think. And then you have the contingent upside as well. And um, that's where I'm at with Algier. And I, I like Bijan too. It's the same thing for me. Like I'm not out on Gibbs. I'm not out on Bijan. I just think these guys are undervalued when you look at the the yep. full range of outcomes and where they're going in drafts. I kind of have like a rule. Somebody... I, real quick, I just have a rule on my running backs. I want my running back room to beat the crap out of your running back room. I want my backups to be big dudes that if they are the starter, I want them to actually be able to hold on to the role. Like I don't want these guys that like could only get you 14 touches in a game. Like if Algiers the one because Bijan misses time, if David Montgomery's the one because Jameer misses time, these dudes are getting the ball 20 times. Like I want like big, thick dudes as my running backs. Yeah, and there's some correlation here with like the fades you're gonna make. Like, so it's kind of these mid-tier tight ends, but if you look at the ADP of the mid-tier tight ends, it lines up with some of these running backs that you like, like Algier, mm -hmm. where you're sort of trying to get Algier in there before you're taking like some of the pure handcuff type backs or the backs, like you said, that just don't have that upside. And one way to do that is to just not draft the tight end in this range, even if he feels like he has more upside. So mm -hmm. you've got a couple of tight ends that you're pretty low on relative to the ADP in Chigokonkwo and Greg Dulcich. And both these guys are the type of breakout players that, that people like, you know, they're, they're sexier type picks. So I'm a little torn on this. Um, I like a Conquo, I think a little bit more than Dulcich just because the available targets, but um, yeah, is this, and I guess an indictment of those guys as players or more just structurally how you like to build a tight end or maybe a little bit of both. I think they're exciting players, but they're these coaches, they want full-time players out there that can block and do everything. And when it comes to Greg Dulcich, the first things that Sean Payton did, he traded for Adam Troutman, his guy, an inline guy that was running and starting with the ones in preseason. He also signed Chris Mannards, one of the, best run blocking tight ends for actual money. I think both of those guys are going to be on the field and Greg Dulcich is in this weapon role that I was talking about. Weapon role sounds fun until the weapon is getting six snaps on offense. And I'm fearful. That's what Greg Dulcich is going to be. We just saw this with Alberto, by the way. Uh, I do think Greg Dulcich can play and they have a role for him, but if he's only going to be running 40% of the routes or 60% of the routes, like, that's a lot to make up. And I think that Chigaquanko could be the same type of thing where you sort by yards per route run. And it's awesome. But once you start regressing the yards after the catch uh, numbers that he had, he was like the best in the league. I don't think a tight end is going to be doing that very often. We've seen this with Johnny Smith where we steamed him up and like, there's just not enough targets there. And this version of it, they actually have two good wide receivers in Traylon and Deandre. So I am fearful that Chigaquanko is going to have like be splitting snaps in general mm -hmm. and, I don't want to be betting on like yards after the catch production for my tight ends. Yeah. I'm a little bit more into a conquo because I think there's less competition and this Tennessee Titans defense could be really bad. And like, hopefully 
that gets him on the field more over mm-hmm. the blocking tight end. But uh, definitely understood there. A little bit of a cheap move bringing up Albert O, but it's okay. It's okay, Hayden. Um, let me see. Let's go to let's go to Jalen Waddle next because this is one that I think we most disagree on because I'm really high on Jalen Waddle. You've got him more as like middle the third round, and I'm kind of like like I'm taking this dude in. Yeah. as early as like maybe just after middle of round two, just after like Tony Pollard. Mm-hmm. So this one terrifies me because I know one thing Waddle is damn good at football. So fading players that I know are good and in the prime of the careers is not fun. I do think we need to regress some of his numbers a little bit off after last year. Um, Tua was playing the best ball of his career by far. And obviously that's because he has these weapons in place, but we also saw some defensive adjustments later in the season kind of tied with the, the concussion. So it's hard to just kind of, figure out which part of that was the actual problem there. But I think there are some systemic risks. If you listen to all of the people that really know ball, like the Ben Solax and them, they have talked about what was going on against this dolphins. And they had some concern there. Um, at the same time, I think I'm, my bigger stance would be like fading Tyreek Hill. Like I don't draft Tyreek at all in the first round, just because I think that he has more systemic risks than Jalen Waddle. He's a first round pick versus like a two, three turn player. He's yeah. older. There's also just like Tyreek Hill is just kind of a zone dude out there. I don't really trust him at all times. Um, but really, I'm just a little bit nervous that the the Dolphins super like we haven't seen an offense throw the ball over the middle that consistently in like NFL history. I think that defenses are going to like really make sure that doesn't happen this year. And like I'm just kind of fading like that RPO throw the ball 15 yards down the middle of the field is just going to be like taken away by defenses. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would hurt Waddle in particular. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting and fun to see if McDaniel is able to combat that because surely the defense has started to make adjustments last year, will this year. I still – I guess I, I have faith in McDaniel and, and how good Tua was last year and just the quality of these receivers. And I love getting the high target per outrun receivers. Like there's two of them. There's enough to go around with two of them, but they kind of yeah. cover each other in terms of like it's hard to take away both of them, but I understand your point, which like some of those target per out run numbers are a result of that RPO middle of the field stuff that could get taken away. So yeah. I'm in on Waddle. Um, mostly too, I have him like just above like the T Higgins, Alave, Devonta Smith tiers. So it gives me like, you know, before I have to stretch on those wide receivers, he's sort of like my last wide receiver. I feel, feel good about in round two. Aaron Jones also on your list. Um, I don't have, I'm, I'm like so neutral on Aaron Jones. We're a little bit behind yeah. ADP on him. So um, yeah, definitely curious to hear your take on him. I don't have a strong take. I just think that he's getting a little bit older now. The offense is going to be, I think Aaron Rodgers loved Aaron Jones and he was coming off like career high in catches they have better weapons this year in Green Bay, assuming that these young guys like take another leap or Luke Musgrave is like a dude, which I think he is. But I'm just not sure if Jordan Love is going to be like throwing the ball to Aaron Jones as much. Um, and that kind of scares me. I think that he can play very slow um, still. So I don't know. I would rather have Damian Pierce and Miles Sanders. I just think that they're a little bit cheaper. Um, and I just don't think no, that's, that's fair. Yeah, sometimes those simple systemic concerns is like all you like a little bit older and yeah. some concerns over how the offense is going to operate and that's yeah. enough to go elsewhere. And 
in general, I'm sort of fascinated with how the fantasy market treats age risk because a lot of times it can be hindsight bias or like we, you know, I talked about this with some more expensive players like Kelsey, for example, it's like a couple of years in a row. We're like, is he going to fall off a cliff? Is he going to fall off a cliff? Then he just does so well that all of a sudden we don't care anymore, but he's yeah. actually a year older and older. maybe we should care <laughs> more now than we did before. And Aaron Jones is definitely in the, you know, the, the twilight years for running back. He's going to be, it's going to be his age 29 season um, coming up. So even though the efficiency was still great last year, um, that's definitely noted. The final guy on our list here to talk about Quentin Johnston. Mm -hmm. uh, another one that makes me mad. The the wide receiver, you know, I'm okay with the other two, but the wide receivers you're fading here for my guys. Yeah, because it's everyone likes the young wide receivers. I get it. He Quentin Johnson definitely in the range of outcomes could absolutely go off. But like Traylon Burks last year, I think that Traylon Burks long term has a promising profile. Quentin Johnson, I think long term has a promising profile. I think that they had some room to grow as players. And we're starting to get that confirmed uh, both in training camp reports and preseason week one. He was out there in wild, didn't have the, the greatest game. Uh, Dan Fouts didn't love what Quinton Johnson was doing. And I think that kind of aligns with what the tape was saying with him. So I just want to double down on big Mike Williams again. Like to me, like this is the yeah. guy that you want in this offense. Uh, Keenan Allen projects, I think pretty dang well. Um, he seems healthy and ready to go again. So I just think that he's kind of like priced up be for stacking purposes, but like, I would just rather single stack, uh, Herbert with like big Mike and like add on Gerald Everett or a free Joshua Palmer. But I just think that this could be a miniature version of Traylon Burks where I would rather buy the dip next year. And I'm buying Traylon Burks this year right now after fading him completely. I just think that he was a young prospect that wasn't perfect. Um, and I'll let other people kind of steam them up. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I think the cost is cheap enough that I'm still in on him, like taking that upside swing. But yep. some of this depends how you're putting your team together. Like we mentioned, like we really like Juju Smith-Schuster because like if you've gone like only two or three wide receivers early, like you need guys that are going to be on the field that are going to give you reliable points week in, week out. Quentin Johnson is not going to be that, but the ceiling's there. I'm just irrationally high on the Chargers offense Same. as a whole. Like just have... Mike Williams above ADP, Eckler above ADP, Keenan Allen above ADP. It's like, give them all to me because the pace that they run at, the pass aggressiveness that they have, and now Herbert's probably going to regress positively. The coordinator switch should be good for them and ties into everything they've already yep. wanted to do and have been doing with Kellen Moore. So uh, I'm pretty excited for the Chargers. So yeah, we'll see how that one um, plays out for sure. But um, yeah. Anything else you want to hit on Hayden before we get out of here? Really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, only thing is I have, speaking of data with weekly winners, I have a column about data where I kind of looked at the top 1% of teams on a week, week by week basis using best ball mania three. It's not perfect data, but I think applying any type of data is kind of gives you some better takes. So I have a column and in, in some research and some videos on YouTube about how to attack weekly winners. I think that weekly winners, what's going to happen is the EBM is going to fill a little bit early and then weekly winners going to be our biggest tournament underdog. And everyone's just going to be jamming in weekly winners teams and not that many people are going to have researched this. So I think that the edge could be really strong. if People take some time to learn the game. So I applied some data on there. So I would go check that out. Awesome. That'll be me. You know, I'm once I max out BBM four, I'll, I'll, I'll be playing weekly winners and, 
there are so many elements that like, you know, do you just take one quarterback and just eat a loss week? And like, so I'm really curious to check that out, but again, I appreciate your time, Hayden. This has been great. Um, Make sure to check out Hayden's stuff on underdog, especially the data column that he mentioned, and you can continue to follow my stuff on establish the run. We'll have a lot of podcasts for y'all over the next couple of weeks as we are in the peak of the fantasy season. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Catch you next time.